He's given me all the armor in Ephesians 6. He just didn't give me anything on the backside, so don't turn and run. But you're taken care of all in the front. But if you turn your back, you have no protection. There's sometimes in life we have to stand and face our troubles. We have to stand and face our problems. You can't run from them. You have to stand and face them. And if you stand and face them, God will give you the victory over them. He'll give you the victory over them. And as we went through the series a couple of weeks about speaking truth, if you don't speak truth to yourself, you'll teach yourself to believe a lie. And as long as you're believing the lie, you got turmoil. You got trouble. But when you begin to believe the truth and trust God and stand on his word and declare, I'm victorious in this. I'm victorious. There's no weapon form that can defeat me. I'm victorious. And I'm going to stand because I'm trusting the living God. And he'll bring you through. Amen? He'll do it constantly. Over and over and over again. Well, if you have your Bibles, turn to Job chapter 37 with me. Just one moment. The reading of our scripture. It's amazing because... We've been seeing different storms come up, different catastrophes taking place. And oftentimes we wonder why these things happening. I'm under the impression that even here in America, God's trying to get our attention. And oftentimes we won't hear God or we won't listen to God. But God is trying to get our attention. And I think God speaks in many different ways. But I think sometimes as a nation, when we're engulfed in sin and, and don't know our way, he still speaks to us. And he says to the people, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. And he keeps trying to get our attention. Listen to Job 37. At this my heart pounds and leaps from its place. Listen, listen to the roar of his voice. To the rumbling that comes from his mouth. He unleashes his lightning beneath the whole heavens and sends it to the ends of the earth. After that comes the sounds of roar. He thunders with his majestic voice. Who would ever thought that thunder would be God's way of speaking? Or lightning, God speaking. When his voice resounds, he holds nothing back. God's voice thunders in marvelous ways. He does great things beyond our understanding. He says to the snow, fall on the earth. And to the rain showers. Be a mighty downpour. You ever been in one of those downpours where it comes so fast, the wipers can't even get it off? You have to pull to the side. 
So that all men he has made may know his works. He stops every man from his labor. When certain catastrophes take place, he stops men from their labor, from their everyday work. For a moment, God just stops and we can't even imagine something that has taken years to build a housing development and to lay the houses out and the streets out. God comes along in seconds and just wipes it out. Listen to what he says. The animals take cover. They remain in their dens. The tempest comes out from its chambers. The cold from the driving winds. The breath of God produces ice and the broad waters become frozen. He loads the clouds with moisture. He scatters his lightning through them. At, this, at his discretion, they swirl around. What swirls are, what swirls around? <laughs> At his discretion, they swirl around over the face of the whole earth. Now catch this. To do whatever he commands them. Even the tornado has what? Somebody doing what? Directing. Where it's going. How fast it's moving. The damage it's going to cause. And sometimes we don't like to think that God's involved in that. So we put another name on it, Mother Nature. God has a way of catching our attention. And God has a way of speaking to our hearts. And God has a way of saying to a nation or to a community, listen to me, listen to me. Listen to me. I pray that America will have ears to hear what the Lord has to say. Amen? Shall we stand together? This is our statement here at Aquin Lions Fellowship. This is why we gather. And we say it together every week to remind ourselves of our purpose and of our calling. Here at Akron Alliance Fellowship, we gather to worship God. We learn his word and incorporate it into our lives. We portray the character of Christ as a servant. We influence others by showing his love and compassion. And we pray for each other. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Father, we do thank you and praise you, Lord, for another day that you've granted unto us. And we thank you, O oh God, that we can come into your house of worship. And that, Lord, we can praise you and worship you with no fear. Knowing that, Lord, you are the God that is able to keep us. And you are the God who has kept us through this week. And you are the one who will give us strength. And you will, Lord, strengthen us even this very hour, to meet that Lord which you would have us to perform and to do. Help us to be reminded, Lord, that you are the potter and we are the clay, and, and that, Lord, we are fashioned by you, O God. And that, Lord, you are the one in charge of every one of our lives, whether we believe or we don't believe. Lord, because you are, 
You are a sovereign God over the lives of the believer and the unbeliever. And nothing can take place in either life than that which you allowed to take place. And Lord, we're so thankful that your word reminds us it's the kindness of God that draws us unto yourself. It's your love that draws us unto you. And that, Lord, you demonstrated your love on Calvary for every man, woman, and child. That, Lord, that you died for us. For we, O oh God, who were a people, O oh Lord, going astray, doing our own thing, using your name in profanity, and while we were yet cursing you, you died for us. You suffered for us. Help us to be mindful of all that you have done on our behalf. May we not neglect so great a salvation. May we be a people who appreciate all that Christ has done for us. And Lord, may we live in such a way that is worthy of his calling upon our lives. And for each one of us who believe, may we run this race and not grow weary. And may we continue, O oh God, to seek out the purpose for which Christ saved us. And may we be willing to serve him in that purpose for his glory and for his praise. Thank you, O oh God, for setting us free. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy and your grace. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for removing the guilt. Thank you for the peace that you grant us. And thank you for empowering us to live out the Christ life. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we get started, we're going to start with this area. And we've been doing it first Sunday about the body of Christ. Oftentimes, as it has been mentioned, we speak about the blood of Christ. The next few first Sundays of the month, my goal is to bring out why the body? Why the body? The body has its distinct purpose, just like the blood of Christ. But oftentimes, we somehow get lost because of the blood and his body. And yet, without the body, there would be no blood, for it is the body that houses the precious blood that flows. The body has its purpose. It is to identify. It is to acknowledge that Christ really did exist. That he really lived. That he was a man. That he grew from childhood into manhood. And there's that historical view of Christ as a man. 
So we cannot deny his existence, though we may deny his divinity. We cannot deny his existence as a man. God gave him a body that he would be seen of men. And men would know him. And he was one that was recognized, just like you and I are recognized. God purposely gave him a body. But his body, as some people would say, would be different than ours. No, his body hungered, his body thirst. And I imagine on a hot day, he sweat. Just like you and I would do. The difference with him was simply this. He knew no sin. He knew no sin. So that body is different in that perspective. But when you go to Matthew 26, you have that area again where it says, take this and eat. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body. This is my body. Take and eat. This is my body. Jesus said in, communi in communication, do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus is installing in the mind, he's implanting in the mind of his disciples the real need of himself, of himself in their lives. In the life of the believer, we have need of Jesus Christ. If we're going to truly be believers in him, we need him just like we need air. We need him. Communion is more than a way to remember the death of Jesus. And that's oftentimes what we're reflecting on is the death of the Lord Jesus Christ at the communion table, that he died for our sins. But it's more than that. It's more than that. Communion is more than a way to remember the death of Jesus. It is about what is really necessary in the Christian life. The need of Jesus. The need of Jesus. And oftentimes as Christians, we forget how needy we are. And that we need him in every aspect of our lives. We need him. We need him. For he is like food and water that the body has need of. And cannot sustain itself without food or water. In March, I watched my father pass away. And my wife used to say this about my dad. As long as he's eating, we know he's healthy. As long as he's eating good. And he loved to eat. He's healthy. But something stopped working in my dad's throat. It's that little muscle that separates 
the food and the water going into the lungs or into the stomach. So everything that he would take through his mouth would go into his lungs. So for a little over two weeks, he had no water, no food. Heart was good, liver was good, kidneys were good. But the body cannot sustain itself without food or water. And all we could do is take that little sponge, that little green sponge, wet it down, wring it out some, wipe his mouth. And even then, he would get a little taste of water. And boy, he would just hold on to that and try to suck. But we had to pull it out because, again, the water would go into his lungs, not down into his stomach. So for about two weeks, a little more, we saw him just starve and finally, without water or food, just passed away. Jesus says without him, the Christian cannot exist. He is that food and that water that we have need of daily. Daily. We cannot live the Christian life without Jesus Christ daily being involved in our lives. It is an outward truth, and this is what puzzles us. It is an outward truth to an inward reality. Something from without entering into the person imparting to them something that is, that is not within them to sustain them. It is the food that we take. It is the drink that we take that somehow as we take it in, it sustains this body. And as we take in Jesus Christ, he sustains our spiritual body. He sustains us. We have need of him, just like we do with food and water. And that's why in Scripture, he is identified as the Lamb of God. And oftentimes the Lamb of God is also seen as the sacrifice. And he's that sacrifice, but he's also that food that we're going to look in Exodus. Because as they slay the Lamb, the Lord said to eat also. He is also known and he's compared with the manna, the bread, the bread of life that comes down from heaven. He is seen as food, that bread. He's also seen as that water that if you taste of him, you thirst no more. So he has all that symbolicness of himself. Basically trying to say, you need me. You have need of me. I am your life. I am the sustainer of your life. You need me. I'm without, but I'm willing to come in. And without him coming in, there's no sustaining of life. Jesus says, I am as important as this bread and wine to your body. I am important to it.
In Luke twenty two nineteen, he says, do this in remembrance of me. He says it again over in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four. Do this in remembrance of me. And he wants us to be mindful to do this in remembrance, the remembrance that we need him. Just like we need bread and wine. How, how many of you forget to eat? Most of the time, we don't have to worry about eating. We eat by time. 9 o'clock is breakfast, 12 o'clock is lunch, and 5 o'clock is... The whole process is this here. He said, remember this. You have need of me in order to sustain your Christian life. You have need of me. The bread symbolizes his body. I want you to take note of this now. Because when we go into John, we're going to see something that puzzles a lot of people because he says, eat of my flesh. And Matthew and Luke somewhat answers that, what is said in John 6, when he says to eat of my flesh. Because here in Matthew, he says, while they were yet eating, Jesus took bread and gave thanks and broke it. Now, Now take note of that. While they are eating, Jesus says, take this bread. So it cannot really be his body that they're taking, but it is the bread that symbolizes what? His body. That's all. The bread symbolizes his body. But he's standing there in person. And he's using the bread to symbolize his body. That unless you partake of this bread... Unless you eat of my flesh, you have no life. And he's using that to demonstrate the need that we have of him. For man cannot exist without bread, without water, without food, without liquids. Man cannot exist. And Jesus is standing there before his disciples. But what he's doing in Matthew is explaining what takes place in John 6. Go with me to John 6. Pick up with me in verse 53. And we're going to go down through verse 58. I want you to take note of these six things that Jesus is going to say here that is important for you and I to recognize about his body. In verse 53, he says, Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Now again, remember, he's standing with his disciples, he's breaking the bread, and the bread symbolizes his body. So he's not literally talking about doing what? Eating of his flesh. But he gives us this example now over in Matthew and also in Luke that we eat of this bread symbolizing this. We have need of bringing him into our life. Taking of his life into our life. And he says, unless you eat and drink of my blood, you have no life in you. Unless I'm part of your life. And this is what a lot of people don't understand. You may have life, but you do not have life. We've all been created by God. We've all been given life, but we do not have life 
Because Ephesians said you were dead in your trespasses and sin while you were yet living. You have life, yes, but you are not living the life that God has ordained for you. And he says you don't have life. You don't have life. He moves a little further. In verse 54 he says, Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood... And now he's going to describe the type of life he's talking about. Does not have eternal life. Does not have eternal life. Usually in scripture when we talk about eternal life, it is painting a picture of the believer who is living eternally with God in his heaven. And that you have an eternal life that has been given by God. Now understand this point here. We all, in a sense, have eternal life. In this, God has given life. But life is always described being with God. Absence from God is death. Though you are living, yet you are dead because you are not in the presence of God or with God. And somebody will say, well, you can go nowhere where you're not in the presence of God. Yes, God is even in hell. He's in control of that. But in hell, they do not see the beauty of God or the light of God or enjoy the abundant life that God has prepared for them. So scripture always makes that difference. That those who are with Christ have eternal life. Those who are not do not have eternal life. But if you're with Christ, you have eternal life, abundant life, a victorious life, a life of peace, a life of a con- Those who are not in Christ only face condemnation. Big difference. Big difference. Those who are not in Christ face the wrath of God. Big difference. Those who are in Christ know that absent from the body is to be where? Present with the Lord. Those who are not in Christ, when you go to John 3, he says, because they love darkness. You don't have to go to heaven to be told to go to hell. That the moment you die, you are either going to heaven or you're going to hell. And life is always explained as being with God. With God. Because the moment we're born, God has given us life. But he has not given us eternal life until we have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what he says here now. He simply says again, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And he says, I will raise him up at the last day. 55, for my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. My flesh or my body is real food that you have need of. You cannot sustain your spiritual life without him. And oftentimes Christians, they will accept the Lord Jesus Christ and they accept him based on his word. But then to further their life in Christ... Somehow they think they're going to do that on their own without being in the word of God. 
It's only by getting into the Word of God and eating of that Word and remember what Scripture says about Jesus. He is the living Word of God that we partake of that Word daily. As we partake of that Word, it is something that is from without, that is going within, that is sustaining us, that is keeping us, and that we have need of. Without a good understanding of Christ and partaking of his word, it's just like not going for days without eating. You become weak. You lose your energy. You lose your strength. And that's the same thing that takes place with the Christian. When you put the Bible down and you run away from God, you find out that you lose strength to fight off the demons, the devil, and truly, as James said, Peter says, boy, the devil is like a roaring lion that's what? Seeketh to do what? To devour you. But you have no way of fighting him off. And he says, my flesh is real food. And we need to recognize that. That his flesh really is food for us. He goes on a little further, he says, in verse 57... Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me, catch this, the one who feeds on me will live because of me. How do we have life? Because of him. How does he have life? Because of him. Statistics is showing something very important that often we overlook today. When a baby is born, which is better? To nurse the baby or give the baby a bottle? Yeah. The nursing of the baby strengthens that child. It also helps the mother. But it strengthens the child. But the milk is coming from where? From somebody else, the body, not from the child himself, but from who? The mother. And the mother then sustains what? Just think, history before there was a bottle, mothers nursed, period. In many of our third world countries, because they can't afford the formulas and the bottles and all that it takes, there is still that nursing. And there's no problem getting on the train in India and seeing a mother nursing their child. It's natural. In Ecuador, there's no problem. There's no covering up. It's, this is what the child eats. This is how the child sustains life. It's natural. It is natural for the Christian to feast on Christ in order to sustain life. And all that we have need of is in Christ in order to sustain our life and to live a healthy Christian life. Now there's a difference between a poor Christian life and a healthy Christian life. And a lot of Christians live in a poor state 
always weak, underdeveloped, no energy, can't do. And then there's that Christian who is feeding upon Christ daily, who has the energy and the strength and the willingness to perform. Totally different. And you can see it in everyday practice of those who call themselves Christians. He goes on, he says in that verse 58, this is the bread that came down from heaven. Now look what he says, the bread. What does Matthew talk about? The bread. This bread is my body. And he comes right back to it again. The bread. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died. But he who feeds on this bread will live forever. He paints this picture of what took place in the Old Testament. When Israel was crying out for something to eat and God sent them manna to eat to sustain them. But they died. But he says, now this bread that comes down from heaven, it gives eternal life and you will not die. But the point he's really making is this. Who, who provided? Whether it be Old Testament, the manna coming down, or the bread coming down from heaven. Both came from where? From heaven. But who did the providing? God did. God provides for us. God provides for us. And oftentimes when we're out here trying to provide for ourselves, we are denying God the right to provide for us. You ever hear or watch a child that don't want to be obedient to the parents and they think that they're grown and they can do everything for themselves? My, my, my grandson brought up a point to his mother. The point was this. I have a constitutional right to speak. Good, you're learning in school. You're learning your constitutional rights. But your mom and dad have a constitutional right to set you outdoors too in the rain. <laughs> and oftentimes when one is speaking about their freedom, they're trying to take away somebody else's what? Freedom. And the thing is this here. When you see the child rebelling against mom and dad, you usually will not see the mom and dad doing all the providing that they could do for that child. And the child then goes lacking, not knowing that they could be living under the umbrella of blessedness from mom and dad. Same thing with the Christian. We miss that our Heavenly Father wants to provide for us everything we have need of. But in our rebellion, we miss the blessing of His provision. And God provided both the manna and the bread 
for the need of his people. Jesus comes and he simply says again, the bread is the symbolicness of his body. Jesus refers to, he is referred to as the lamb. Go to Exodus with me, Exodus 12. In John 1.29, he is called also the lamb. And John says, behold the lamb of God. But in Exodus 12, starting in verse 1 with me. Here's the sacrifice, but here's also the eating. The body of Christ is sacrificed on our behalf. And Jesus says now, eat of this body. Eat of this body. And this body is sacrificed for us. In John 29, John said, behold the Lamb of God. And what I want you to catch here in Exodus is this. The sacrifice but also the command that God gives them to eat of that sacrifice. To eat of that sacrifice. So he says in 12.1, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be, your, is to be for you the first month, the first month of, of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb, for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of the lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. Now catch this in verse 5. The animal you choose must be a year old, a male without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Had to be a male, and there could be no blemish. And you had to eat it all. You had to sacrifice it and eat it all. Jesus Christ, a male. Jesus Christ, Scripture says, knew no sin. And there was no sin or blemish in him. And he says, John, behold the Lamb of God. And then Scripture says, eat of my flesh. Eat of my flesh. When you look here, you see the sacrifice of Christ in the deliverance of a people from bondage. When you come down into that verse 8, he simply says, that same night they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. They are to eat it all. And we are told in the New Testament to eat of the Lamb of Christ, his body, that we might sustain this spiritual life. Go with me to 1 Corinthians. 
Stay with me in thought. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 13. Food is for the stomach. If I go back to my father, food was not made for the lungs. Food is made only for one thing, the stomach. Period. And that stomach is where the digestive system takes place. That turns that food into the energy and the strength that this body has need of. When we take up the word of God, it goes into this mind and, and in a sense it drops down into our heart and it gives us energy and strength that we might carry out God's will. It helps us to be doers of the word. It strengthens us to carry it out. And he says, boy, he, and Paul uses this illustration in 13. Food is for the stomach, and then he turns it around. And the stomach is for food. Period. How many of you eat by trying to force food into your hand? It doesn't work. Understand this principle, too. Because this is what happens in life oftentimes. We take the word of God into our mind, but we never let it go to our heart. So we have the mind activated, but it never drops down. If you only put food in your mouth and never swallow it, what good does it do? You could hold the food in your mouth 25, it doesn't do you one bit of good. That food has to go in the mouth and then drop where? Down into the stomach. The word of God has to go into the mind of men and women. And then it has to drop down into the heart. For it to do any good. He says, food is for the stomach and stomach is for food. Jesus Christ is for me. And I am for him. Look how he states that now. Once you hear what he's going to say in the rest of this verse. He simply says, Food is for the stomach and the stomach is for food. But God will destroy both. Because there's going to come a time in these new bodies, in these resurrected bodies, we don't have a need for food or, or water. We won't thirst, we won't hunger. So he's going to destroy that where we don't have need of food. But then look as Paul brings it back into reality for us. The body is not meant for sexual immorality. Boy, if we could get that across today. The body is not meant for sexual immorality. Now, understand what Scripture is not saying. Scripture is not saying the body is not meant for sex. I'm old, but the fire still burns. And the whole process is this. God made us sexual beings, but he put limitations on it. He says what's proper and what is not proper. And the whole process, he says, 
Immorality is not proper. Immorality is not proper. Immorality, what is it? Webster Dictionary. Not in conformity with accepted principles, right and wrong. Behavior. Not in conformity with standards of proper sexual behavior. Immorality in the Greek is simply impure. Impure. Western Dictionary says, you are not following an accepted behavior when you're living that immoral life. Yes, God made us sexual beings, but he put rules and limits on it. That sex is for the marriage bed. Anything outside of the marriage bed is immoral, improper, not right, wrong behavior. Now catch this last part. But for the Lord, what is for the Lord? Put the whole thing. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. How many of you understand your bodies are the temple of the living God? And that your body is for the Lord. It's not for somebody to abuse. It's not for somebody just to jump on and have their little moments of pleasure. But that your body is really for the Lord. And he says, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord for the body. The Lord for the body. That the Lord suffices this body. That the Lord is the one who meets the needs of this body. And oftentimes men and women are looking for the opposite sex to really meet their what? Their needs. And the one who really meets your need is the Lord Jesus Christ. For what takes place in about two minutes oftentimes brings a world of unhappiness rather than a world of joy. But he says, the Lord is for the body. And we need to understand that principle. That the body is for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. He goes on, and he simply says, the real purpose of that body is that your body is intended for the Lord and no one else. The body is as food. And we talked about him being the bread. We talked about him being the lamb. The psalmist says, taste and see how good the Lord is. Now, he uses something that has to come to the mouth because all the taste bugs are where? In the mouth. And he says, taste and see. Taste and see how good the Lord is. Once you've tasted something, I've never had chitlins. How many of you love chitlins? I've never had chitlins. But people tell me they are good. I don't know. I've never had them. My mom never cooked them. So we, we, I never formed a taste for them. And some food you have to form a what? 
Salmon is something you have to have a taste for. It's a fish that has its own distinct taste. And some fishes have their own. There's a difference between a catfish that you catch out in a regular lake and a catfish that is farm-raised. It's a different taste. The thing is this. These taste bugs then require what? That taste. And the Lord says, taste me and discover how good I am. He's using that in what Christ is saying. Eat of my flesh. Taste me and see how good I am. And you have to be willing to taste of him to really see how good the Lord is. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says that God in his own way fashioned his body. And I want to look just in, the, in closing here. The real purpose of Christ's body. I believe scripture answers everything for us if we dig for it. And that the Holy Spirit will answer every question we have need of. He'll give us an answer to every question. For he is the real teacher. But turn with me to 2 Corinthians 5.21. I want you to see what he says here in this text. 2 Corinthians 5.21. He says, God made him who had no sin. Referring to Christ. God fashioned him. God gave him a body. He knew no sin, but God fashioned him. God did this work. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Man cannot deal with his own sin. What would you do with your sin? Where would you hang it at? How would you get your sin off of you? Have you ever had a stain on your hand? Have you ever worked with something that it leaves that regular soap don't take it off? And you got to go get either Gojo, you got to go get something more powerful, you got to get some gasoline, and you got to wash it off? That's Christ. We don't have the material to wash sin away. But the blood of Christ will. But it had to be something that was there to be used. It has to be a material thing. And God gave him a body. And he fashioned that body that would be able to take your sin and my sin upon itself. Think with me for a moment. When they were pressing the crown down upon Christ's head, he never said, Father, why have thy forsaken me? When they were beating him with the lash, he never cried out saying, Father, Father, why have thy forsaken me? 
when he was forced to carry the cross after being beaten, he never said, Father, why have thou forsaken me? When he was being nailed to the cross, he never cried out, Father, why have thou forsaken me? The scripture says, between noon and three, it became dark. And at that moment when the world became dark and the sun was no longer seen, we believed that the sins of the world were being cast upon him. And only when the sins, and he had to bear the sins, my sin, your sin, our sins, did we hear him cry, Father, why have thou forsaken me? Because of that sin. Not because of the crown on his head, not because of the beating not because of having to carry the cross, not because of being nailed, but only when he had to deal with our sin. Because for the first time in his life, there was a separation between him and the Father. Because when he took our sins upon himself, God could not look upon that sin. And he painted everything just dark. And in darkness you don't see very much. <laughs> and sometimes you can't see anything. And there's times in Vietnam in the foxhole you could put your hand up here and you couldn't see it. But you could put the other hand up to fill it. But it would be so dark. You couldn't see anything. There was no moon out. You were glad to see the moon in Vietnam. But it would be so dark in the jungle areas. You couldn't even see your hand in front of your face. And that's the darkness that is there. And Jesus says, Father, why have thou forsaken me? Because at that moment, all of our sins went upon his body. And God fashioned him a body that knew no sin, but yet would accept all the sins, past, present, our sins, future sins, all of our sins upon him. Well, that's hard to get it up here and then get it down here. But that's what God gave him a body for. For the scripture says, he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. God fashioned him a body, gave him a body that he might take upon himself all of our sins. And as we come to this table, we come to this table being mindful that our sins, past, present, and future, has all been paid for because of Christ. Because of Christ. And when you look in the scripture, 
in Hebrews 10.20, it talks about the veil, the body. And two things about the body that text really brings out when you do the research. Our own body is like a veil. That somehow keeps us from God. Our own body and because of the sins of this body. Keeps me from entering into the holy of holies. And like the priest of the Old Testament. Without the washing of this body. And putting on a clean garment. The righteousness of Christ. I cannot step into the presence of God. But he says, because of his body in Hebrews 10, 20. And then when you look over in Matthew 27, 51, the curtain was ripped, opening up the Holy of Holies to all of us because of his body that we're able to step into the presence of God. His body was given to us to take upon our sins and that we might take him into our lives and that we might believe that only through him do we have a right of stepping into the Holy of Holies, into the very presence of God, and making our request known? Only through Him. Oh, the body is important, yes. Let's not overlook the body. The body of Christ says He really was a man, He really was a person, He really lived. But it tells us so much more. That his body was the bread that comes down from heaven. That you and I can partake of and sustain our life. That he really is our food and our drink. And that we have need of him. We have need of him. And as we come to this table, yes, it's only bread or crackers. But it symbolizes the body. That Christ said to us to eat. And as we partake of it, we are partaking of him symbolically. Symbolically. Now, for you who are visiting us today, may I share with you, this table is for the believer. And if you never accepted Christ, just because the rest of us go through this ceremony, would you sustain and would you withhold yourself? The reason I asked you that is this. In 1 Corinthians 11, it says that we eat and drink damnation unto ourselves when we take of this table wrongly. And if you're a Christian living in sin and have not repented of that sin, don't take of this table because you bring shame to the gospel. And he says some are sick because of it. 
And we have a right to come to this table as believers and to eat of the bread and to drink of the cup. And in doing so, we believe that we are taking his life into our life. And we are remembering all that he has done for us. All that he has done for us, we are remembering. Amen? Amen. If you're here today and you never accepted Christ, and we want to give you that opportunity. That if you want to accept Christ, you can do that now. And it's very simple. It's not a difficult task. It's simply saying, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Come into my heart and be my Lord and my Savior. I need you, Lord. I need you. That's not hard. It's so simple that oftentimes we won't do it because it's too simple. But what else could be required? What is so simple of a child just obeying mom and dad? What's so hard? And yet, that's all mom and dad requires. That you just listen and obey. But for the child, it can be so difficult. Because there's so many things that are pulling and tugging. And as the adult, oftentimes we are like the child. There are so many other things doing what? Pulling and tugging upon us. And God says, all you have to do is receive what I have given. And the scripture says, for as many who have received him, He's given them power to become the sons or daughters of the living God. Father, we thank you, O oh Lord, for your loving kindness towards us. And we pray, Father, that there be any among us who have not accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, that your Holy Spirit would minister to them. It is not in the power of man to convict anybody nor is it in the power of man to save anybody. That is in your hands, in your hands alone. And we pray that you would be the Savior that you are. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would do the convicting. Thank you for the opportunity to be able to share your word. And Lord, as we gather around your table now, we pray, Father, that you would bless us that we will find strength in this table. We will find revival in our souls because of this table. That, Lord, we will find fresh and new energy because we eat of this table. And, Lord, we will be reminded anew of what it costs you to purchase us and give us eternal life. Help us, O oh God, to remember all that Christ went through in securing our salvation. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.